welcome. Uh, episode three, right? Yeah, three of Vlog Tongues. Um, uh, you see up there is Josh Landers. Uh, this week we have a special guest, uh, Kristen Griego from Griego Mouthpieces, Getson Edwards. Josh, what uh, what did we have in mind here this week for, for Kristen? So today we're going to be talking about a couple things. We're going to break it up into a few segments. The first one, uh, we're going to talk about the the designing process of, of products, you know, uh, how do you come up with things and, you know, just coming up with the different products that you have? Because you have a lot of different things that you've created and built besides mouthpieces, uh, designs and harmonic balancers and, you know, accessories and things like that. So we'll talk on that. Uh, talk some on the second part will be about mouthpieces. Um, new versus old, you know, there's new designs. There's a lot of mouthpiece makers. You know, how do designs change in mouthpieces to modern playing needs and intonation, things like that versus an old mouthpiece? Uh, or older designs that people have played on for a long time. Uh, from there, maybe go into uh, where you think, Christian and uh, you know Steve and, uh, and some people out there, of what the mouthpiece world is turning to. What's the future of the mouthpiece world? And then we're going to open it up to some uh, questions and answers from uh, our community. So, uh, yeah, we'll get it uh, started here. Um, so, Christian, uh, you have all sorts of products and things. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and just what you do for the people that don't know? Um, I like to make things. And I, I'm a trombone player by trade. I, w I went to school for that. Um, I wanted to be an orchestral musician, like 92.6% of the world. And then at age 24, I got hired uh, for the Edwards position, which was called artist, whatever relations just fitting people for the instruments. And I quickly discovered that my background selling stereos from age 16 on develops your ears, A being speakers, and then being a musician, it was really easy for me to identify what people perceived as bright, dark, thick, rich, all, all these words that people use, crunchy lows, that's the weirdest one I ever heard. Um, and I still use it, it still comes back. The wife says, oh, honey, I like that. It has the crunchy lows. Okay. <laughs> you know, but... I was able to understand what people were after and then give them that. Um, and so I quickly refocused and decided I was no longer going to be an orchestral musician. I was going to uh, be in manufacturing. And from there, I, I wanted to make mouthpieces because I, I was diving into everything equipment-wise. And so I asked Tom Getson at the time, can I make mouthpieces for Edwards? He was like, no, we don't do accessories. Just do it for yourself. So I went home and I asked my wife, and she was like, yeah, oh, you should do that. And I think to this day, she regrets that because 22 years later, we have way too many models. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting to always follow the directions and see. I mean, you guys can speak to this in your career when, when you're the row is up ahead and it says, hey, there's a there's a, there's an opportunity here. And you just boom, you go. And so I was like, OK, fine. I dove in and started making mouthpieces. Didn't know what I was doing. Um, and to a certain extent, I, I like to still think that I don't, because when you think you know something, you, you do know, you obviously know there are rules, there are parameters and things, but you always have to be, you have to search for the unexpected to find something unique and interesting in, in, in my way of thinking. And, and so yeah. I, I try to keep an open slate at the beginning of the day. And at the end of the day, you may have a bunch of scribble on the slate and then you, you look at it and you, you identify what's good, what's junk throw that out and go after the good and then keep going for that. And sooner or later, you'll, you'll be what people 
deem as successful. So and that's what I kind of do. And I've done that with any products that I'm involved with, with Getson, um, Edwards, Griego mouthpieces, small bore, large bore, B-flat trumpets. Um, we had a fantastic E-flat trumpet for the longest time for Edwards. Um, people didn't buy it, so we pulled it off the market. It was amazing, but people weren't buying it. So it's like, if people aren't buying it, why offer the three focus and let's, you know, let's go a different direction. And so you have to also be okay with failing in this business. And honestly, that's one of I'm I'm pretty thick skinned and I'm not bothered by failures. I learn from it. I quickly pivot, refocus, and make that turn that failure, identify where it is, and then solve that problem. Kristen, I guess that's a that's a good kind of jumping off point for some more in depth questions here. Are you creating a solution to a problem that you don't know exists yet, or is it the other way around? Are you looking for the solution to you know, what's out there when, when we're talking about gear and the demands of what we're trying to develop here. Yes. I listen to people and whenever I hear an overly compressed sound in the low register, I know they need a deeper cup and I, I solve it on a, a, a razor like focus because I've, I've working with thousands of people over the years, you learn the, the absolutes. Like if somebody comes in and their horn isn't resonating, what do you do? Well, you, you don't put a new bell on it. You ultrasonic it. You take it apart, you clean it, and get all the inert matter that's dampening it, and then you put it back. It's like, oh my gosh, then my horn resonates so much better. But you you go after the, the the obvious things, and for me, those things are to 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 the person practicing day in day in trying to solve these things. It's not obvious for me. It's obvious if it's over compressed in the low register, it's too shallow of a cup or too small of a throat, and it's backing up and getting refraction and and interruption, getting burrs, fracturing on the articulations, and things of that nature. So does that go into like instrument design when you're, you know, like with the Edwards X13 and the, and some of the Edwards trombones with your heart, your weights, the harmonic balancers, yes. the, um, the pillars. So what, what's some of the process in designing that stuff and, and coming up with stuff? Like I've made, made stuff with, you know, modular weights and things like that. I know that it does things. I know the reasoning behind it, but what's your process for designing that type of stuff? Um, Dumb luck and obviously physics and acoustics. Um, the pillars can't comes from an absolute physics standpoint. Density, diameter, length. You have this length, you go right in the middle, and that whatever the density and diameter is, you're gonna have a fundamental pitch that it's gonna you're gonna accentuate. It's it's a it's a physical EQ, if you will, to to dampen harmonics or add harmonics, frequency. And people will say that, oh, I love this trumpet because it's much darker. Okay. Well, it's rolled off on the highs. Thus, it's darker. That's that's something that uh, maybe I don't want to sidetrack us too much here, too. But though dark and bright are two words that get thrown out almost to to a fault, I think, when people are trying horns. And I don't, and I've never heard anybody give a a solid definition. They just know it when they hear it. So, what did, what is your definition of of those words? Um, numbers, frequencies. So you're looking at. Like a stereo EQ, basically. Uh, a spectrum analyzer. If you're looking at overtone structure and the balance there within. Um, and I finally had a musician, Phil, um, Philip uh, Dizek, come in. And we were talking. He's like, I don't want, um, you, you you all know. And yeah, he, he was like, I don't want 2,000 up. I want more to 250 hertz. To, and his father, Bob Dizek, is an amazing um, repair tech who I know um, and respect. He's retired now, but he... His work is incredible for like tube amps. He's designed speakers back in the day. 
he's so well-rounded that like I can talk to that guy for hours, you know? Um, but Philip's father has taught him that. So it's not just, and I, I, I so respected that. It's easy. And how, how many musicians you ask that question to, and I generally won't because they'll be like, what do you mean? But I think we have to think about the frequencies that we want enhanced, muted, or enhanced, muted from the top down and the saturation. I think of saturation of color in that way. And then there's depth of sound, which then comes from more so the, the mouthpiece lead pipe relationship. You know, it's, it's, it's incredible to listen to you talk about this stuff in depth because, you know, and, and it's sort of almost like a blessing and a curse at the same time to know this stuff, because when you, when you kind of go into it with a, a certain level of ignorance, you know, we'll call it blissful ignorance where you say, okay, I like this. Um, we don't know exactly why or, or, but, but we know that it works, but it, it is, um, you know, your side of the, of the, uh, relationship where, you know, to, to get what you need to out of that orange or that specific person. When I, you know, you're, you're talking a lot about the kind of the one-on-one, uh, you know, diagnosing and fixing, but how do you apply that to a, a more macro scale and, and appeasing by, you know, I guess the law of which with Edwards, we're dealing with more individual professional customers and we'll do whatever we need to support that one person. When I'm designing for Getson, um, I want more of um, a broad picture. The Griego CS5 mouthpiece, I designed to go with the Getson instruments, and I wanted anyone from a six and a half to a five to all the way to a four on trombone to be able to play. And I achieved it by doing a five diameter, but a soft bite so that it doesn't lock the player in. But then it's not too deep of a cup, but then it has a 289 throat, which is bigger than by 10,000 than a stock five. So that allows the air to flow. So somebody with a six and a half could play it because actually the, on my five CS5, it's a shallower cup than a six and a half, but it's a bigger throat. So then a feeling of freedom because the, the high point in the rim is farther out than locking them in on the inside. So whenever I'm doing a Getson design, I, it, I can't have it go out and only have 2% of the world buy it. So I have to have an incredible, like the 4047 ET has to be a unit. Angel called it the universal. He plays in, in the in the opera. He plays in, in the orchestra. And then he plays solo. He recorded a solo album on it. And it has to do all three. And that's a challenge for me. But it has to be very, it has to be unique, but blend. But it's it's a it's a broader window that I'm working with. So when you're when you're designing that stuff for more broad use, are there are there limitations that you're up against? You know, because when you're dialing in and working one on one with somebody, you can really narrow things in. Do you, do you find that there's limitations in your design that you want to implement or can't do um, the, with that? The limitations are in your own brain or in my brain. So I, I'll have a design intent. I want to do X and it's going to be for this style of player. And I, I, I generally, whenever I'm doing things, it's more, it's selfish to me. I, and I, I mean this, I want to understand that segment of the market because I don't understand it. And so I'll dive into a project generally so then i can understand why these players want x and then once i understand it by the time i've understood it i've pretty much designed an instrument and then you might as well release it and if people like it and if you're going after that market and you're testing with them and they start selling their instruments and buying yours that's when you know you have something do you see certain trends and and say oh boy we're gonna have to we're gonna have to work with this we're gonna have to design i mean one of the first ones that jumps to mind is cut bell yes which are very much in vogue right now i i I, I, do, I did not dive into that pool because um, 
I would not risk somebody's career on that. I, let me rephrase that. If they have a career already, they can do whatever they want. Mm. And we'll send people, um, Josh, you've cut bells for convenience. Yeah. But that dude- Yeah, I've cut a lot of, lot of, lot of- but it's for convenience. It's, it's yeah. for convenience. But honestly, those people are traveling, hoofing it, and you know, making a buck doing it. That's fine. They already have a job, maybe. If you don't have a job, and there's not a lot of people that have won positions on cut bells if you're behind a screen. So then I'm more concerned about the acoustics and the resonance, and I would I, I would highly discourage people from playing a travel bell. Once you have a job, do whatever you want, man. Play whatever you want. Get whatever endorsement you need. Do whatever you want to do. No, I'm being serious. But until yeah. you have that, you better be playing the stuff that makes you sound the best behind a screen. That makes sense. But so I guess maybe that was a bad example, but something like um, if we see a, a trend for uh, a lot of people playing with pedal boards and, and, you know, electronic enhancements or something like that, is that something you say, okay, so we're seeing a lot of trouble players doing this. What, what are we going to have to do to kind of jump in and make sure that we're in the game still when it comes to this? You know, what can we offer on is is that sort of you know in your periphery, or is that something that um, you wait for it to kind of come to fruition and see what you want to do? I study trends. If we're not doing well um, for people winning positions or advancing their careers, then I start watching and seeing who's beating me, and then I'll look at their equipment, I'll test their equipment, I'll play their equipment, and I'll figure out what's in the sound and feel that's causing it, and I'll quickly adapt our instruments so that I'm within the parameters that society is wanting. One, one thing I will say to everybody that's what they're watching right now is if you've ever been to a, a trade show and Kristen is there, he is always out there testing everybody else and get yeah. credit where credit is due, you know, obviously, you know, and that's, that's the sort of thing that's the uh, intellectual curiosity that, you know, I really appreciate. Oh, and I've started getting a trumpet collection because I'm always interested. Okay, how's the open open yeah. series on um, trumpets on historic trumpets that are interesting and good? Yeah. Why? Yep. And then I want to dive into them. And I want because honestly, if you don't have a new project, you'll get stale. Yep. If you don't have a new tool to work with to be trying something new and always, I mean, I've been doing this 26 years. Uh, Josh, how long have you been repairing? Oh man, I started when I was a kid apprenticing. I was 13, and so I started it 30 years ago. Yeah. I've been doing it full time for well over 20 some 20, yeah, well over 20 years. Probably still looking for different ways and more unique. Oh, if, if all the time, all the time. That's like the if there's a new approach, to buy new tools. Yeah, right. I like making new tools, buying new stuff. But no, whatever the approach is to do something better or to improve on something, a technique, you know, I'm always trying to do better. My staff is always trying to do better. Um, you know, that's part of who we are as musicians. I guess you practice to get better. And then when you do that growing up, like I practiced a lot yeah. on guitar and French horn and, you know, hours on hours on days to get better. Yeah. It's kind of like in us. So now that I focus that energy to that, oh yeah, I'm, I'm trying to improve. But that, that brings us, Christian, it's like a great segue because you bring up old horns and, and stuff like that. So mouthpieces, let, let's yeah. talk about old mouthpieces. You know, there's, there's the Bach designs have been around for a million years. Um, you know, some of Vincent's early stuff that are popular, but what do you think has changed most in the mouthpiece industry from modern to vintage mouthpieces? And what do you think, you know, what's, what's new with mouthpieces? Like, what do you what do you do to improve upon designs 
that you've already made or things that you see out there? How does that work for you and what you do? So qualified vintage or, or old gear, what is old? The hundred uh, years old, 90 years old? Well, I mean, hundred years old, I think would be kind of antiquated for modern stuff. Um, I agree. I mean, we could talk about, we could talk about that, but I, I don't think we need to dive down that deep. I don't think, do you, Steve? <laughs> no, but, but, you know, let's talk about the stuff that people ask for. So we'll just try, you know, like a New York Bach, you know, one C. Yeah. Well, Mount, Vernon, Mount Vernon, one and a quarter C. You know, that's a design that's been around for a long time that people play. Of course, there's been differences in the manufacturing years with like Bach mouthpieces, but that's like an older design. Um, I love the guys at Bob Reeves. They have Proviance stuff. You know, Carol Proviance was super talented. It's an old design. Um, people still play it. It's, you know, it's not new. Um, there's a lot of old mouthpiece makers out there that made really great mouthpieces that people still play on and covet. And, you know, there's a lot of new mouthpiece makers, well, but what are you using, using the New York Bach as an example, I think back in the day when Bach was around, he was making for individuals probably along the same way that I, I do now where like today I had, um, I had a, a Bob McChesney in and I was working on, and I made a mouthpiece five thousandths smaller cup diameter with three thousandths smaller throat. And then we tested that one mouthpiece. And I found this, I found um, a Mount Vernon mouthpiece that was undersized by dimensions. You know, you, you guys have done this too, where you, you take your calipers, even if they're, you know, your old school calipers like, like this and you measure them and they're not to a spec, but it plays great. Yeah. And then, I've taken that, reverse engineered it, scanned it down to the micron, and then reproduced it at that, still plays great. And then I opened it up to what a, a new traditional correct one knew, and it didn't play as well. I think there was more unique um, character in those mouthpieces because they were being built more. It was smaller scale. They weren't doing a thousand mouthpieces every 24 hours. Yeah. And then putting one on a rotisserie buffer that then, you guys get the idea. It's a, it was a different thing. And so I think, that's why they were so inconsistent because they were being built more for individuals. And so I think you find a lot more um, character in those mouthpieces. There's a lot more differences in overall length. And and then you get into the wear patterns where this one was heavily played, this one was not. So this one has deeper engagement. You can't add metal back on. And so now it, it, it goes in, for, it's much, well, this is much freer blowing than a modern one. Well, of course it is because it's got a wash shank on it. And, and you can't, well, the little we always called it the the LKE little kid effect where it's been dinged around and this and that and all these little things add these little character things. I mean, you can't. Uh, I mean, if it's a pure tube, it's going to resonate uh, perfectly. But you take that same tube and you 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 mar it up over sixty years and temper it and work it, it's going to be different. And so you can find absolute rubbish for antique or you know excuse me Mount Vernon's and you can find absolute gems. I mean, what I've always I've, I've tried to go. The other way, where I nerd out to like the tenth of the thousands, and I have plug gauges the tenth of the thousand for my mouthpiece, and I think there is no ice ISO nine thousand one for our industry. It's a hot mess when it comes to QC surface finish and all these things. It's just like, and I, I watch makers, I watch new makers, I watch old makers, and I've, I've watched makers from twenty years ago what they were making be different now because now they're making for a, a different segment of society that's buying X brand. And it's got a different receiver in it. And maybe, you know, I, does that kind of answer your question of old? Yeah. 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 That makes a, yeah. That makes a lot you know, of and I've, 
seen the receivers change or you've seen the S braces change sure. and that footprint. So the transference of energy on a trumpet from the leap pipe across the bell from the footprint, like on the old, the old trumpets, we had the, this huge, long, long footprint right there on the, and there's a thin receiver. And so that if the mouthpiece seats correctly, even though the gap is still the same on a trumpet, this should be a trumpet, I'm just gonna, but I don't have one right here. Even though the gap's the same as a modern, you're, you're capturing the shank more, because it, but it's thin wall. Oh, then that transference is so fast, the bell just lights up faster. And the S-braces, the temperament's harder. Well, modern S-braces, we want to you know, anneal them a little bit more so it's easier manufacturing. You can stamp them quicker, faster, you know. Well, then you're not going to get that transference because they're easier to adjust. So, I mean, you, you look at these things, old to new, these are all the things that factor it. How much does the, I mean, by and large now, we're, we've moved over to CNC, um, uh -huh. and that's a whole new, you know, wrinkle to this conversation too. I mean, um, some, there are some people who are holding fast to the old, you know, the old methods, but by and large, I think we're moving over to CNC for consistency. What advantages did we gain by going over to CNC? Um, if you know what you're doing, you can get a good surface finish, which means less buffing. Less buffing means less, um, human interaction. The, the least amount of human interaction you have with a mouthpiece, with an instrument, with any part, the more consistent it's going to come out. I mean, Josh, do you want to answer why that is? It, no, I, I mean, that's, uh, yeah, the consistency. I mean, it's, you're also on old like screw machines and things like that, that were following templates. You know, I've got these, um, old Rasenberger jet tone screw machine templates. They're, you know, like yeah. this big aluminum, aluminum, and they have the pattern that they'll trace and you know, that's how things used to be made. And it's awesome. It's kind of inconsistent. It wears, yeah. you know, they're really cool. I mean, I, I don't know what I'll ever do with them. They just, I mean, I got probably like 30 of them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's incredible to think about, but with the CNC, I mean, we can make a mouthpiece now. Um, and we can, I used to pay someone to watch Netflix at work and hit a button on an engraving machine and grab a mouthpiece. Well, now we're doing it on the, on the machine and it takes 30 seconds longer, but it yeah. cost me less because there's no labor it comes off the machine and grip and it makes me so mad that we made so many thousands of mouthpieces and paid somebody to watch move and and they they were bored out of their mind too because there's not enough stimulus here and that's that's not a good gig man that's not it's not good for a human to just to, i mean you know i mean yeah there are jobs like that but if i can pull that away from a human and then let them use their brain for something they're going to be a happier employee too so that's yeah. what we get with CNCs. I mean, we get we get the opportunity to automate, get better surface finishes, um, not have to use sandpaper in our cups. That is just the most ridiculous thing. And I see people on the outside and on the inside. I'm like, what are you doing? Just get a good surface finish. Spend more time on the machine. Work on your speeds and feeds. Get a good finish. Use 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 a, use a good tooling. If you don't if you don't know, call someone who knows. They'll tell you. I mean, that's the only way this industry is going to get better. I'm now the old guy yelling, you know, from this porch. <laughs> Get off my lawn. Yeah, I, I see it's it's also, you know, with like CNC stuff, like you were touching on earlier, is you can adjust something by, you know, 10 thou, a couple thou here and there, and, and see what the adjustment is, as opposed to, you know, like the old days. And even now, if I'm like doing some mouthpiece for somebody, I have like a hand tool and a scraper. Yep. And I'm yep. in there, you know, yep. I can measure out what I've taken. But it's it's sometimes a crapshoot. Yeah, and um, and so we we start if you have a start with a scan and then it's too deep. Okay, well you could actually move it up and you know you, you've moved it up five thousandths and 
these are all, and, but if you have to, you have to have the ability to qualify it too. So if you're going to the 10th, you have to have the plug gauges to the 10th of the thousand. So you can actually qualify what you're doing. So it's more expensive, but it's more repeatable because I know on my, on my face, the difference of a half a thou is a big difference. So, so with that, is there, is there like a diminishing return? You know, like I, I, I joke with people that, you know, a mouthpiece, there's an infinite amount of possibilities because you literally can take away and put mass just about anywhere and change about anything to it. Is there, is there a diminishing return when designing new mouthpieces? You know, you're like, well, you know, I've, I've done this enough times and you know, this hasn't worked or maybe I should just leave well enough alone. Or is there a point that you're just continuing to adjust? and tweak and redesign, you know, stuff from even like 10 years ago. I have absolutely failed in France. Why? Because the amount of compression they want to feel and play against is I, I, and I know that I make American style instruments because I grew up listening to this, playing this. And so it's what I do. But when I went over there and I, I worked with, I, I went to an instrument maker and I, I walked in and I played their instruments. I couldn't. I was just like, oh, you know, but th they're very successful, make a living, but those instruments are made for that style. Man, it's not what mm. I produce or design with because of my background. So I think there's some, no, I, I think there, there's German style, there's French style, there's, there's West Coast, there's East Coast, there's down South, there's Texas. That's, it's its own country. And you have, then you have South America, then, then you have Canada. You have all these different regions. I mean... Right? Yeah. I, I'm not bored yet. That's you know, awesome. we, we paint with sound, and if you look for it, you can find a, an area of repair, soldering techniques, brazing techniques. I watch tuba bells be made on YouTube. Why? Well, I'm just curious. Yeah. What are they doing? What kind of what kind of paste are they, smelting paste are they using? What kind of I I, I want to see well, how what temperature is a bell getting? Because I can tell by the color of the bell when you're you know. So I I, I think as long as you're interested, and you keep You'll, you'll, you'll find a way to paint with sound, but you have to understand, you know, and, but then like, I've never, I, I honestly didn't get into this for money. It, it found its way to me and I'm, I'm fine and I'm great. I have a job, which is fantastic, but like I wanted to make tooling. So I got a bigger lathe, you know, and I searched until I found the right one, the right deal and everything that I could afford. And I have, and now I have 51 inches in Z and I have 15 wow. inches on the chuck. So and I could, if I had a hoist, I could put a pretty big piece on there and turn it. So you have to have a goal and then you have to just keep going towards what you want to achieve. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes, makes sense. But I don't think there's any, yeah. Thanks. I think I like working with Bob Manchesney, he had a California approach real, you know, he doesn't use East coast air. So why did I start working with him? Because I want to understand that West coast approach. Cause I don't sell a lot of instruments on the West coast, not as many as I do on the East coast Interesting. or in Texas. Or the, so I, I can identify a problem. That's a problem. I'm not selling a lot there. So if you look for a problem, then you try, what's the solution? Well, understanding. Then once you understand, you can make something that will then satisfy the market demand. I mean, it seems so simple when you say it out that way, but, but there's obviously, you know, there's obviously a lot more that goes into that. Well, yeah. Yeah. And like today, Bob's playing, then I pick it up or I overload the horn. I'm like, oh, that's me because I'm playing here. I need to stop that and adjust and figure out any way of playing, which is interesting because we, we, we pick up instruments every day. And we play the same way. I do. Yeah. I'm, I'm more of a technician and I can analyze things very quickly 
And so I'm efficient, boom, figure it out, move on. Today, I'm like, oh, I need to adjust my air column. And I would play the same mouthpiece as him because I want to feel what they're feeling. Um, well, maybe this is a good time to kind of push ahead a little bit here too. I mean, on that topic, you know, what, what is, um, you know, what is the future? What is the future of the mouthpiece world? What, what's next? I mean, I, you keep, you say that you're you know, exploring new territory, but you know, what, where does it stand right now? Where are we going? What, um, what do you think's down the road for, you know, mouthpiece development or I guess instrument development in general? I'm, I'm really hoping to push forward and share some of the knowledge that I've learned along the 26 years. Um, Josh, I know you're, you're training new people at all times to do repairs. And I, I, Steve, I know the same thing. I've been to your shop and we're always looking to, to, to continue the education. I'm now trying to pass it on, whether it be from YouTube videos for doing these things to, and, and qualifying and teaching people. If I, if I talk about qualifications, I'm not just teaching me, I'm teaching the younger makers that are getting out there because I watch how they're making things and I see the eccentricity of when they just chuck on a, a three-jaw chuck. And I'm sorry, there's issues there. I would not sell anything that I did in that way. I mean, I may pursue something, test it, and then I would throw it in a bucket. I, but that's, I'm production. I'm not doing one-off, special, unique thing. I'm doing production. So I have to be careful when I say that because there's so many people that do amazing things that are artisans. I am not an artisan. I'm production-oriented. So I look at concentricity, eccentricity, qualifying these things and making something that that will be producible. I want to be able to make a thousand. How much of that is, um, you know, the economic side of things? I mean, you talked about paying somebody to watch Netflix. I mean, when you're when you're working on a mouthpiece designer, they, you said, well, this is going to be too expensive to, to pull off. Um, you know, we're not going to get an ROI on this or something like that. I mean, you, at what point does that enter the, the process? Are you guys gamblers? Uh, officially? No. I mean, we're in the brass business. Yeah, I was just like, we open music yeah. stores. We have music stores, man. That's a gamble, too, in New York and Boston. <laughs> I would ask the question, what business owner is not a gambler every day? You're gambling with the inventory you bring in, with the employees you hire, with every step of the way. I'm going to invest in this new piece of equipment. I hope it does X. It should yeah. do X. I can't tell you how many times I've told my wife, well, I'm going to do this and this and this. And then she just looks at me like six months down the road and goes, when is that going to work out? I'm like, we're still learning. Six months after having a machine and it still has not really produced. Um, and that's when you have to not care about the money. You have to be cautious because as you grow, I, I've been to your shop, shop a few times, Steve. And when you have two employees, the amount you gamble is different than when you have nine employees. And so you're, you're no longer just gambling with yourself. It's now with every employee that you have, right? 100%. And so you have to go in for the equipment, but you also have to think about the background things, the quarterly taxes that are coming up, the not fun stuff. Brass just, brass just dropped like three or four times. And so I, you know, I bought a couple thousand pounds of brass, but I had to think about that expenditure. But then if the brass comes back up, I'm thinking about my scrap when I'm going to sell it back at a higher rate in four to six months. I'm a gambler. How much scrap do you, how much scrap do you make? You got to make a lot of scrap. Huh? A lot. Yeah. You're, you're making trombone mouth, one piece trombone mouthpieces. Yeah. That is a lot of scrap. I start, I start on, with on, engine on. five eights. Wow. Engine five eights slug. 
you know, it's three point, the average mouthpiece is 3.255 um, overall length. Um, but then there are some that are slightly longer and then there are some that are slightly shorter. So if you have a shallower cup, a lot of times you'll want a, sh um, a shorter mouthpiece. Why? Because your throat's not so long. So you don't get so much compression that it backs up and feels like crap. And then you get fractures on your um, articulation. Deeper the cup, slightly longer. Then you have a little longer throat. You get more compression so that you can still get a button on the front of the, of the nose. And you do that. You do that on all production. I, yeah. I mean, it's because it's, that's where you get with CNC. So I'll program, and I'll, I'm going to nerd out for a second. Sorry. <laughs> we don't just make a one blank and a backboard. I have a, 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 but we have a, we, I, we, Chris is my, he's, he's my production uh, manager. He's, he's incredible with his programming. We have um, different backboards. We have blanks, different blanks. We have different cups and rim programs. And so we call them all up as we want per model. And we can change the backboards. We can change the blanks even with all, it's essentially with, you know, macros calling up sub programs so that we're not pigeonholed into one blank, one backboard. How many, how many different backboards do you have? Oh God. Or do you, do you change it between with for, for trombone and, and trumpet? I mean, you gotta well, have a, a lot. Yeah. With, with trumpet, I don't single point yet. Okay. I've got some experimental, um, we got some experimental barboards that we had ground on paper. Well, because you're, you're dealing with the, the what, 15 to 20 overhang yeah. and you're going to get vibration. I haven't magic, I haven't got the magic sauce for that yet. Do so you single point, you single point at trombone backboard? Oh yeah, every was. Also flugel, um, flugel cornet, mellophone. Oh, that's amazing. Tuba, and it's it's in it's 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 once you get through your speeds and feeds down, and we've done it for quite a while. We obviously we have um, tapered drills that are you know ground so that we can go in and we can we can hog out material pretty fast. Yeah. And then we do a we do essentially a finish pass. And then we just use a little bit, and then we we leave enough to for the tip to, to bury in, and then we do our final, so that we don't have any steps or anything, because you don't want to be hitting steps, because then you're gonna you're gonna want to walk in or walk, you know, depending on your tool. And, well, and you've got to keep up with the with the you know software as well on this stuff. I mean, it's not like you can just buy this once and and be good to go for you know. In of course not. No, no. You have uh, we use Mastercam. We use still Parts Maker for Swiss Screw Machine. We use um, SolidWorks and SolidWorks every year. It's, an extra, it's like $2,000, $2,200 for licensing for every year. So you can get the, the new version. But we're also machine shops. So I also make valves. I make rotor valves. I make Thayer valves there. And we we, we make those parts for Getson. Um, and we do piston blanks. We do hey, good things. You make you make good parts. Yeah. Yeah. We try. You know, we make try. And really honestly, I, I, I didn't. It's amazing if you just want to make good things. And when people screw up and you take over their work, eventually you have enough work to like, you know, employ people. Yeah. And be busy. Well, not only, not only that, you I mean, I think one of the times I was there, you were making some sort of part for a sailboat too. Yeah. I, we were just delivering some kelp, 24 foot kelp cutter knobs out of UMHW. I don't even know what that is, but <laughs> I, I can see the part. We make it, you know, I want to be diversified because the arts are always the first to get cut. Yeah. And during COVID, we do some aircraft, we do some medical grade stuff, so we're able to keep going. We were laid off at at Getson for 13 weeks, like everyone. We were yeah. honest. Yeah, I'm sorry, but I'm I consider myself essential, and so I I want to, and I always tell people that's my first thing I tell musicians: have a side hustle because at some point there's going to be a downturn. Christian, what do you think with instruments and you know to go a little bit off subject with you know, instruments and how designs, 
have changed a little bit. Like, you know, you guys, the, the X13, I think is a, a fantastic. And the, the reverse flugel, uh, what I made the flugel, what's the Edwards, uh, and it gets in flugel model with the sideways, the third trigger. I can't remember oh, with the Martin. 95? Yeah, 95. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, those are non-traditional designs. You've innovated and come up with stuff that's unique and different. Are there, are there innovations you're working on that you could talk about or, or things do you see other, even, even companies, you know, with new innovations, whether with instruments or mouthpieces that you're like, oh, you know, that idea or that concept is kind of interesting. Let me, let me look into that a little bit. Um, I, I think there's been more innovation in like interesting things like the rotary trumpets from Shangrel and yeah. those things, as far as creativity, those, th th those are quite interesting to me. Um, there are some nice looking instruments um, that are catchy to the eye um, and some of the materials that they use. People are using bronze a little bit more, which is it adds some interesting colors and textures to them. Ergonomics are slowly improving from these historical standpoint, but it, that's a hard one to move and deviate from. I've had people like be like, well, you should do X because it would be so much better. It's like, yeah, but we make historical instruments and people expect that and so i've always said and I, I said this before but i can only deviate five percent at a time in my designs if i change 20 percent, the market's kind of like because human nature i and i saw it today from bob i'm, I'm working on a wide body guest trombone with an x-bin from this is from uh the, this is the x13 right here i took wow. the x13 and i made a wide body small bore trombone why okay identify the problem you put a rotor on a small bore, it digs in your neck, so you got a narrow slide and you got a, a narrow span. Okay, that's a pr problem. How do you fix that? Well, you got to have a wider, okay, well then doing the five radii here, it's nice to have a little bit more room because then you can actually have more identifiable radii in there. Radii, radi radius. 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 Radi 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 uh, anyway, radium. Um, you know, but whenever <laughs> I do this, the, the sound becomes more precise. Same as on the trumpet. The sound becomes way more precise. And so then how do I keep the sound width? Well, when I go wider, then I can shrink my neck pipe down a little bit, right? Then I go too wide, now it's too woofy. So then I have to move my cross brace down on the bell more towards the flare. And by bringing it down, I'll get more accuracy back into the sound. Because the more you move this brace up here, the more resonance you're gonna get. Well, I want more resonance. Yeah, but you want it to be controllable and not just a slippery slope as you push up. So when you're when you're designing something like that, like that there, yep. for example, you 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 have a proven concept with the bend that has worked on trumpets, yeah. and yeah. now you're implement and you're implementing it now into a trumbo. Yeah. And you're saying, well, you know, I got to shrink down the neck pipe, I got to move this brace. You know, are those things you're thinking of right off the bat, or you're getting that from playing, and then you know, oh, this is you know, this is really great here and, you know, this is kind of not working here. So let me adjust this because this is, is not great and this is better and keep those things consistent At and change. The entry level, I, I'll just start with the, the concept, which I did, and it's efficiency. So I'll take something existing, I'll put it together, even myself, so I'm not bothering the factory. More importantly, people aren't having input. The more people that have input, the more it goes into gridlock and it won't get done. And then I play it and it'll play terrible, but I'll just write down what's terrible and then how to fix that. And then I, I, I fix one thing at a time, just one thing. Don't change two or three, just slowly, methodically go through it. And then when you start getting to the point when you need input, 
then you bring in creative people or things because honestly i'm i'm i like the playability adam gets is way better at like dressing things up like the 4895 the new parts the extra team dressing those things up in the aesthetics he's fantastic just don't ask him yeah. to play it <laughs> well, I, I remember when he put up a it was an instagram picture or something he put up once of the it was just uh, the spiral uh, spiral engraving on 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 a trumpet bell that he spent a bunch of time doing, and the the amount of requests that were made for that, yeah, uh, was, was just incredible. Just but certainly not uh, cost effective to to use. No, and and that was inspired by the the straight line engine rig, you know, which can do incredible things. And I'm actually going to use some of those techniques on some of the turntables. I have a dream of doing some of those on platters and just see it spinning. I, I think it would be beautiful. So that's how that's how I kind of go about design. I mean, I'll start with the concept. I wanted to implement that X bit. I didn't want to put it on the end of the slide, you know, of the hand slide, yeah, because it looks weird. I once did an ovate tuning slide for, um, you know, like like the the Monet bands, the E. Yeah. I put that on the end of a slide. I, I made one. I thought I'd share it. It doesn't work. Yeah, and you have to change the hand slide length too. You're, oh my God. you're killed by you're killed by overall length. Yeah, like yeah. I, I get, I get people that come in with things, um, like that. Like I, I once had, sorry, just to change the subject. Yeah, I had somebody come in with a New York Bach trombone that somebody had put an ovate slide like that on, and he's like, I have no seventh position. I'm like, well, what do you, what do you mean you don't have a seventh position? He says, well, when they put this on, they cut the slide down because the crook was so long yep. that it, and I, I cried because it, it was like, a, it was a Pretty early, like New York Box Six, uh, oh. six four or six. I mean, it was a really, really, really nice horn, and they cut the original tubes, and I was just like, oh, oh. So you're you're limited. You're limited yeah. in certain things to the overall physics and yeah. lengths and math behind an instrument. And I knew not to do the X13 on there because 20 years ago I did this and failed because I tried it because I was young and I was like, well, it works on trumpets. I want to. Well, and, and I can bail. something else that, you know, when you hold that up, I'm, my first thought is, so what happens when they that slide gets dropped and you have to either replace that end crook or you have to get in there with a set of dent balls and pull that out? Those are a pain. They're such a pain to fix. Oh, my God. They are the worst. Yeah. Even if they're balled out, even if they're balled out really well and a ball out die, you know, getting past those bends with a dent ball, dude, it's, it's like it's going to blow out on the inside and it's. And that's that's the difference between young, you know, young bull, old bull. Now that I'm 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 now getting older, I I've, I've failed enough times that I know no, I'm not going to do that. And I see that so many times. We're going to do X. I'm like, good luck with producing a thousand of them. You're going to make a couple hundred, and you'll be perceived as cool. I don't need to be cool. I want it to play great and accurate and good. <laughs> I love it. So that that brings me, Christian, too. We had a a, a couple questions um, yeah. come in. Um, and the first one, this one came from TikTok. Question says, "Hey guys, how do I know if my mouthpiece is a good choice?" The the most basic thing. Uh, I had Pete Ellison here a couple of days ago, and he played arpeggios. Just ba 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 ba. You can do just that basic exercise. So many times we start testing equipment. We're playing. We're playing. We're performing. You're not performing. You're testing the basic fundamentals. Articulation. Are you getting a clean or are you getting a fracture on the front? If it's fracturing, it's bad. Okay, identify what's good, what's bad. If it's bad, don't keep trying to fix it because you'll always be trying to fix it. It needs to be clean. 
all the way on the front of the note. It needs to develop fast because then you can have a chance of shaping it when you want to. Wow. But for me, it's the most basic fundamental thing. And if it's neutral on your face where you don't have to use a ton of pressure and you can resonate top to bottom, even on just the two octaves, then you stand a chance at extreme register. If it's already shutting down in two octaves, it's dead to me. It's not capable of being fundamentally good. So to answer that question, I start right there in the meat potatoes. And if it doesn't do those those things, and then I'll even, I play soft. I play soft because it's harder to play soft than loud. You play loud, you're going to get it going and it's going to sound fine. Play soft and resonant. And then does it, does it like an attenuator, your volume knob, does it have a half dB increments? So you have a lot of volume choices or is it five or 10 dB increments? If it's five or 10 dB increments, it's not good. It's notchy. It's so I've played some equipment that it has no mezzos whatsoever. It plays soft and loud. It's dead to me. Done. Cool. So if, if you can do those basic things, have slight gradients of attenuation and then be clean in the two octaves, then you stand a chance at additional things. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's got to, it's got to perform, you know, if you can't perform a basic task, then why, why go past that? I mean, that's certainly, yeah. yeah. I go, I go by, by comfort first. Is it, is it comfortable on the face that I, I find is the most important? Cause I'm very sensitive. I have some nerve damage in my face. Um, so for me, you know, it's really about comfort on the face the rim contour and things like that. So if it's, if it's comfortable, uh, I think that's a good place to start. Um, but then you need to go into more what you're talking about. Christian is the sound and, you know, what are the dynamics? What's the intonation of it? Um, you know, are there things you are struggling with, with your mouthpiece, um, yeah. that you need to look at a, a different mouthpiece? Um, you know, are there things that, you know, sound concepts and colors yeah. that you want to change? Yep. Um, so there's a lot of things to know if, if, uh, you know, you want to check out different mouthpieces, go try, you know, if, if you're not by a store or somewhere, you know, try some friends mouthpieces, if they have something different, see if something works for you or not. And then you could take it from there. You go. You know, to a store like Steve or mine or other stores, you can, if you're a professional and you need to dial it in, you could go see somebody like Christian who can help really narrow that in. I think the re retail market is perfect for that. When people just buy something online because somebody did a review or it works for them, you know, and they just like, you know, first off, you don't know who that player is, their style of playing, if it's gonna, their instrument, even how that instrument is. I, I, I would never buy an instrument based off that or a forum talking about something. I would never do that. I would. Yeah, I have. A, I have a great. Just a, I have a great collection of like uh, famous people's mouthpieces, and you know, people always like this. Oh, I want to sound like. Well, I'm like here, try so and so's mouthpiece. They, they, I don't say it. I'm like here, try this. But like, oh, this is horrible. You know, what is what is this? I'm like, oh, well, that's uh, you know, so and so's mouthpiece. Yeah. So just because you know, so and so played it, um, like man, I got some of Dizzy Gillespie's mouthpieces and one of Maynard's. I can't. I can't play them. They're like the most horrible for me. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, everybody's different. Yeah. So that's, I, that's that's biggest, I think that's one of the biggest challenges is that you get this, you know, whether it's an endorsement or whether it's just what they play on and, and they come in. And I've said this on this podcast before. I mean, you know, if I go out and buy the same driver that Tiger Woods is using, I, I'm not going to hit 300 yards. You know, I'm going to, it'll, it'll be a warm burner and I'll be walking 25 feet ahead and not for my second. Then you're going to, you're going to hit 350. You're going to be better. Yeah, exactly. If I do the exact same one that he 
Um, so I got another one. This one was coming from our newsletter. Um, what's the biggest misunderstanding players have when it comes to mouthpieces? Bigger is better. That's easy. All right. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. <laughs> no, I mean, people, they, they, they'll go, um, they'll, they'll go too deep is the biggest thing. And then it, it, the, 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 the overtones will actually start rolling flat, even if their, their fundamental is in tune. And then it's not interesting because they don't have any sparkle or life in the sound or, you know, and it's hard to texture. And then they compress the, the, the face and then they come in and they have a big ring because they, they have to compress everything and always, they're always working. They have no ease in their life because they can make it work. Opposite, the opposite, they're too shallow. Your trumpet might be too shallow, too tight. It's going to yeah. get sharp. You're going to have to pull. Yeah. Well, and then far out, that's exactly it. I mean, you have these people, when we get ideas, the pendulum always swings and it swings too far. I need more color. I go too bright, compress, and it sounds like crap. I need to be big, big and dark because you're young. Okay. As you become more efficient, now you sound like a big, you know, freaking tank. So no big cups, no big throats. Um, big, big I'm not, throats, big backboards, big cups. I think, um, no, I think big, big, big cups and big throats have a place. If you're playing big band, big, uh, bass trombone and you're a specialist and I've heard specialists do some amazing things like on that, but they are not playing up here. They're specialists. So if you're a specialist and you're only playing lead, you have to play what you need to play for that gig. But, but specialists are different than all well-rounded, all-around different genre players. I do think there are different hammers for different jobs. I'm not going to take a rawhide hammer and try and do different. So basically, just buy all the mouthpieces. Um, you can never, yeah, you can never have enough mouthpieces. Dude, that 100%. 100%. Oh, <laughs> uh, my daughter needs braces. <laughs> well, and I've never wanted that. I've always struggled with that, being associated with a brand or with Griego, Edwards, and I'll talk to people and I'll try and help people, but I don't, I don't want to feel like a salesperson. I want to feel like I'm helping somebody with their career. Yeah. And when it comes time to, I mean, the sale is, is a sale at the end or whatever, but I, 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 I want people to know what they're getting is going to help them. And I want the instrument to be better than them, no matter who they are, because then they stand a chance at improving. If the instrument is slower than them, they're, they're never going to improve or they're not going to have that ability to, pro to progress. And, but, and, you know, and to your, to your credit, I mean, I've, I've, I've witnessed you say, you know, and maybe we're talking about players, maybe we're in a trade show or something. So this equipment works really well for you. You should stick with it. Yes. And, and, or, you know, he sounds really great on that setup and, and certainly to your credit. And, and, and it is hard balance too, because um, obviously you gotta, you gotta put food on the table. You gotta do all that sort of, you know, the cliche stuff there, but you, you have to be, you know, true to what your message is. Yeah. I've always appreciated that about how you interact with people. Um, you know, they, these people are doing this well. This is this is a really good match for for this particular player. Mm -hmm. um, you should go with that. Uh, it takes a lot to say that too. Well, I think all three of us are fortunate that people generally will make a lot of bad decisions in their playing careers, mm -hmm. and when they walk in, you're then able to. It's it's like I mean that one's an easy break, easy no brainer when you're just like. This trumpet mouthpiece is, is this long, and this one is this one. And you're wondering why wait, you have a better range on That's one. Yeah. 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 I mean, so those, but you're like, well, I paid a lot of money for this. Okay. You know, and so um, I, I think having a good technician or, or even a, 
that somebody that, that understands the acoustics of the instrument on a on whatever level is important that you trust. I think you guys have proven yourselves in that. I've been right. to both your places, and when people they they go there for a reason. Yeah, you you, you really have to listen to the subtle differences because sometimes it's just so subtle. Yeah, that you know. Yeah, you have to hear it a couple times or change, you know, hey, point your bell this way and play over there so I can hear where the sound is, is projecting. You, you make a strong um, point there. You need to be, this is the other, in instruments, not just mouthpieces, but um, I'm seeing a trend now where instruments feel the sound they're getting on the, the on this side of the bell as a player is so drastically different than what's happening out front. Yeah. And yes. I, I'm, I'm seeing this yeah, 100% more. more. And it's scaring me because people are making bad decisions because I can design an instrument that makes you feel like, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that. Whatever you want to insert there. It's going to make you feel great on this side of the belt. But to the listener, you're not going to get the gig. So don't just pay attention to the feedback. Record yourself out front and make sure it's the same because the players beside you may get the feedback or the inverse. It may sound glorious out front, but there's no feedback here. So everyone's like, I can't hear you, man. I can't hear you. And those instruments, when you play them, they feel like a stick and you have to listen in front of the bell. Well, you just have to listen in front of the bell. Well, tell that to your people beside you. Yeah. No, I I, I love telling people to put a put their phone on. Everybody has yeah. a phone. You can record yourself. I, I have people all the time. I'm like, hey, you know, why don't you, you know, record yourself and listen to your sound back, you know? Because what I hear is going to be different than what you hear in your own sound and on your perspective of what's on your side of the bell versus what's coming out of it, too. Yep. And we, if you're going to buy 100%, have a couple pairs of ears because you're not going to trust me. You're not going to trust any of us. Have somebody that knows your sound. And so that when when all of us say no, your friend can go, yeah, they're right. Yep. Because yep. what you are perceiving on the other side of the bell is different. We we have went as far as to set up a, a recording you know apparatus in, in our practice room so that people can do that and listen back to the monitors because I mean it's hard to argue with that sort of you know, empirical evidence being right back at you. Yeah, and I'm very analytical when it comes to sound, and I'm very imp not I'm it's not personal when we're talking about that. And I always tell people, look, I'm talking about the sound, not you. So I separate those things. Kristen, thank you for joining us. Thanks for, you know, bestowing a wealth of knowledge on us here. I'm going to go back and listen, uh, go back and listen to this again and take notes. Uh, but yeah, uh, Kristen, is there anything you want to, you want to share? Any plugs that you want to get in before we, uh, sign up? um, yeah, if you're interested in anything that I'm involved in, I do obviously griegomouthpieces.com. You can follow on the socials and everything. I've tried to do more YouTube content now. Um, uh, because I, I bought the equipment and my wife says, okay, you better use it. Um, and it makes and it, it's fun, but then also, uh, gets in any of the, uh, the 4047, 4147. I know y'all, y'all have some people trying the X13s for Edwards, uh, are fantastic. The 4895s. Um, and then if, if anybody's into vinyl, we do soda turntables. I make those at my shop. And if anybody's ever around for mouthpieces, so yeah. yeah. And don't forget to uh, subscribe and check out our socials uh, at virtuosity underscore Boston at, and at Jay Landers Brass. Christian, what is yours at Griego? Mouthpieces. Mouthpieces. Yep. Yeah. Um, for more, um, thank you guys all for tuning in to Long Tones. The next upcoming episode will be posted in our socials shortly. With that said, I hope to see you all soon and thanks for tuning in.